0: Hello, and welcome back to Paperback Readers.
1: I'm Joe, that's Julie. Glad to be back with you after a unfortunate delay on our end of things.
0: Some of us got sick.
1: Yeah, and then some of us didn't get a whole lot of reading done because there were other things that had to happen around here, but yes, that's another us, story for a different podcast that's not this one. <laughs>
0: because some of us were sick for like two weeks, the other of us had to do a whole lot of things.
1: So Yeah
0: it's been It's been rough around here, but we think we are back and ready to go, and we are so glad to be talking books with you all
1: absolutely eternally
0: now, because some of us have been sick, neither of us have really read a whole lot.
1: no I, this is uh, maybe my skill for catching up with you is just infect you with enough <laughs> illnesses I
0: don't know well, um this may be our fastest podcast ever, but anyway, here we go. so I began um, by rereading things because there are so many good books coming out this spring that I'm super excited to read. Um, but they weren't, they weren't out yet. And so Mm -hmm. I didn't know what to read. And so I fell back on some old favorites. And first I read the one I've talked about on here 80 million times. I guess I haven't learned that yet by Sean Nequist. I reread that one. And then I jumped way back into childhood and started rereading some really old classics. I was always a big Anne of Green Gables fan, and I loved the movies, too. I know you never read any of the books, but your grandma made you watch the movies.
1: She didn't make me, but she always uh, she enjoyed them.
0: So you are at least familiar with the storyline. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. I, I the fell idea. so deep into the Anne of Green Gables world that I read pretty much everything L.M. Montgomery wrote that I could get my hands on. So I read the Story Girl and all of that saga, I read all the further stories from Avonlea, Lee, but my absolute favorite, I'm not going to say I loved them better than I loved the Anne of Green Gables books, but it was neck and neck. And some days I would have told you I loved these even better. It was the Emily of New Moon trilogy. Mm-hmm. And Emily was a little girl who was orphaned and came to live with her aunts and a cousin, um, in a kind of situation similar to Anne's in that she wasn't totally sure she was completely wanted at first, but she finds her place and she makes this home and the writing itch is in her the whole time. And it's just, it's gorgeous. So I reread the first book, Emily of New Moon. And then I read the second book, Emily Climbs, which is her high school years. Um, those were actually both really comforting to me while I was sick um, because I could just kind of go back into this comforting world and and these stories that I totally loved then, um, I was still sick, so I tried to reread the third one, which I think is called Emily's Quest, and that's when I realized there's a reason that that book is in the best shape of any of the trilogy, because it's not as good as the <laughs> well, other I was, two. I was
1: going to say, one of the, my few observations here, I had to get at least one of these for you when you were sick, and it's like, well, this is the book that starts on page eight because the first seven pages in the cover aren't there. And you're <laughs> like, yeah, I should probably buy a new copy sometime. So Well,
0: I read these books so much that the copy of Emily of New Moon that I have is my second one. Mm. And then the cover's missing from the second book and a few pages. Honestly, the only reason the third book is in such good shape is that I loved these so much that my mom read them too. And she dropped the third one in the bathtub and had to replace it for <laughs> me. It was so waterlogged. So.
1: Uh.
0: um but yeah, those those are just seminal books. I related in so many ways to Emily with the writing and the love of of literature and creating. Mm-hmm. And though they never get old, except the third one. The third one kind of got a little old. <laughs> All right. Maybe
1: it needed to be in the bathtub.
0: Huh? Maybe, maybe it really did. Then I was feeling a little bit better. And one of the books I'd been waiting for came in from the library, so uh-huh. I read um, "Ready or Not" by Stone. That one was not that was a book of the month book that came in. Yeah, and I read that one um, because it was February, and you need to read a little romance book in February. Um, this one was about a woman living in New York City. Again, I'm a sucker for a New York City book. Um, She lives in New York City, and she got pregnant after a one-night stand, and then the idea of what you have to do with this, how are you, what are you going to do, all the decisions you have to make. Um, Her parents are also dead, and she lives far away from her three brothers, and so it's the family she's created here for herself in New York, Mm -hmm. who become the support system that she has, and then um, the man she falls in love with. So it was really a very sweet story, um, and I enjoyed it thoroughly. And then I read Get the Picture by Bianca Bosker. Um, She wrote Cork Dork, which I read a year or two ago about her adventures trying to become an expert in the wine world. Right,
1: I remember that, yeah. It was
0: really, really good. I really thought it was fantastic. And now this one, she's shifted gears. She wanted to learn everything she could about modern art. What made a piece art? What made it good? Um, What were the qualifiers? Kind of like where were the the um, scorekeepers here for all of this. So she does a variety of things in this book. She is a journalist. Um, She worked for a gallerist, and then another gallerist. She befriended a lot of artists. She became an artist's assistant for a while. She even took a job as uh, as a guide, a guard, at the Guggenheim Museum in New York. Just trying to answer all these questions. I thought this book was every bit as fascinating as Cork Dork, Actually, probably more so because um, while there is a lot of nuance and a lot of crazy things in the wine world, it's just so much bigger in the art world because of the number of things that um, that count as art, I guess is what I want to say here, although I don't really like that phrase at all. What this book was really about was learning to see um, and learning to open your mind and be inspired by everything in the world around you. Um, She asked the question throughout the book a lot, just like, what makes something art? Why does this count as art? And then gradually over the course of the book and all these different experiences that she had, it seemed like the answer she came to was more of what isn't art? You know, like you look at this great big world that we live in and all of these colors and all these things and people are creating all the time, every day. Really, what our job is as consumers of it is is to notice it, to just pay attention, and to be appreciative. And I really just thought it was fascinating.
1: It feels very uh, A.J. Jacobs-like. That's who I'm thinking of. There's
0: some similarities, except A.J. Jacobs really tries to, like, be funny and do crazy out there Yeah. She's really on a quest to understand things. Um, And I just, I, I thought, we love art museums, you know. We rarely pass up an opportunity to go to one. We love looking at art. I just thought that this was a really interesting way to kind of go through and answer the questions that a lot of us have. Even though I love art museums and I love art, I would not say I know a lot about it or feel like a qualified judge of any of it. Oh,
1: absolutely not, Just, you know,
0: I like what I like, but it's not like I'm that open-minded toward everything either. So I just, actually, I'd love to read this book again just because of following her journey and her questions and the way she learned to see so you know what? I reread a lot, and I have felt like garbage, but it's kind of been a good reading time for me. So well,
1: you got some good stuff in there. You did better than I did. I, uh, I have three uh, to talk about, and this one I started and didn't realize I had, in fact, already read it. I read it when I was doing <laughs> research uh, for my book about Jackie Robinson, The Fine Team Man. Uh, it's a book called A Moment in Time by Ralph Branca. Ralph Branca is famous because he is the pitcher who gave up Bobby Thompson's home run that won the pennant for the New York Giants from the Brooklyn Dodgers. Maybe the most famous baseball moment of all time. Certainly one of the top couple. Um, so Branca is immortalized as the goat. He's the 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 failure. He's the guy who gives up the home run. Um, Complicated somewhat by the subsequent uh, knowledge that the Giants won the pennant because they were cheating. They were stealing signs Mm -hmm. with a telescope from center field and relaying them. To the batters, so Mm-mm. Thompson probably knew that the fastball that he hit out of the ballpark was going to be a fastball, which would be a massive and illegal advantage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, this has been subsequently confirmed by a couple sources. So one of the interesting things for Bronco, who's an old man now, I mean, the shot heard around the world was in 1951. Uh, was how do you feel about that? How do you process that? <laughs> and. Uh, uh, it's a, it's an interesting book because Bronca it, it could turn into a woe is me story, but you never get that. Branca uh, came from immigrant parents and was one of like 17 brothers and sisters. and And what comes through probably more than what it was like to play baseball in the sports golden age is just what it was like to grow up. I mean, he still grew up in a world where he wanted to go to college and he had a guidance counselor who said, no, you can go work in a factory.
0: That's terrible.
1: Italians don't go to college. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Ouch. So, yeah. so yeah, needless to say, Ralph kind of has the last word uh, <laughs> on that one. But but I found it maybe more interesting just for the, the coming of age in the early part of the 20th century in an immigrant family. But the thing that was a blessing out of that, Bronca said, I didn't see racism. I lived in one of the few communities where... People were integrated, and it wasn't an issue. I had black friends. I went to their houses. They went to my house. Mm -hmm. People were people. So this was a guy who, when Jackie Robinson comes along, he's pretty well positioned to deal with that, to see Jackie as a man and not as some sort of bizarre nefarious other as some of the Dodgers did just due to their upbringing and their raising. So. I like that part probably more than the baseball. Is so. worth
0: a reread then. Yeah,
1: it, it was, again, I was about halfway through <laughs> before I was sure I'd read it before and then thought, this wasn't bad, was it? And no, it really wasn't. Uh, I also read a book called Not a Game, and that is from this man's most famous soliloquy. We, we, we talk about practice. Not a game, <laughs> not a game. Allen Iverson. My yes. boss
0: was quoting that the other day. <laughs> it, it
1: is universal. Yeah. It is sadly what he's remembered for. And uh, needless to say, it was not a great, uh, flattering biography. Iverson is very much the sports prodigy who, off the court, can never get out of his own way, who, who sabotaged his own life infinitely more than any, any opponent or enemy ever could. Uh, and, and that's a shame, but it, it is an honest uh, biography written in a way that depicts the man's warts, but also... Uh, some of the things he did. It's funny, though, because in the middle of telling what a failure he's been as a businessman, as a parent, as a spouse, the guy will tell a story about a lady who helped him in high school. And when she retired, you know, he came to the event and gave this incredibly heartfelt speech about how much he appreciated her and knowing that she had been in his corner when nobody else was. So... Complicated human. Let's, let's leave it there.
0: Uh, Everyone is a complicated human.
1: Alan Iverson, probably more complicated than most of us. Capable of great highs, of some subterranean lows. And the man who wrote it is named Kent Babb. And uh, he, he tells quite a story. And then this one's been on my shelf for a long time, and I was glad to, to get it off of my shelf. I've had several books lately that were so good that I didn't want to just devour them. I, I, I've, I've become... You know, more like, let's let's play it slow. Let's take our time. And this was one of those Pledging My Time Conversations with Bob Dylan Band Members by Ray Paget.
0: I know you had been excited about that. Well,
1: I mean, this is a book I would have written. I totally would have written this. And God bless Ray Paget for getting to it first. Uh, he talked to people from the 60s up through recent Bob Dylan bands.
0: Did he talk to Tony?
1: He did not. Tony is still in Bob Dylan's band, so Tony ain't going to be spilling any That's tales. True anytime soon he talked to larry campbell our old favorite who's actually on the cover uh he talked to a guy named duke robillard who was in the band last decade and left under unhappy circumstances Hmm. so you get somebody's cranky stories about how dylan won't communicate and just grumps at you you know so you you got a wide variety you got people who really had an axe to grind and people who were like no he's great and you even got people who are like you know what It was a messed up, crazy thing, and I love that guy, and if I saw him tomorrow, I'd give him a hug. Oh, I mean, I love that. One of my favorites was Regina McCrary, and you'll have no memory of this, but the last time you saw Bob Dylan, we sat about five rows behind Regina McCrary, and one of her sisters, they were gospel singers who sang on his Born Again albums. And they were at the show that night watching, and I I kept saying, man, I hope they'll come up and and sing one with him because that would not be impossible. Uh, That wasn't
0: the show where Steven Tyler was. Yes. That was the same show. Yes,
1: yes. They were a couple rows in front of (laughs) Steven Tyler, Okay, but they talked to her, and I loved her stories about Dylan. She got to the end and talked about how Dylan had interacted with her family, and she said, uh yeah she'd she'd be glad to see him work with him any time she said because he's a great man and i'm like what what a cool thing what what an awesome story there I think,
0: that is there awesome.
1: aren't necessarily a ton of those here there are a few more i enjoyed it but i had no idea what he wanted he didn't communicate i know one guy's he was a drummer and he said i asked him what do you want on this song and he said dylan just looked at me and said don't ask me i'm just a poet <laughs> so <laughs> that
0: sounds about right
1: you, you get some of those but you know if, if you care about this it's a fun book honestly even if you're not a bob dylan fan if you're interested in just like the dynamics of playing in bands how does this work it, it was fascinating from that standpoint
0: i'm just i'm waiting for tony's book
1: tony will never write it but that, that's part of why tony's been in his band well since 1989 it's a long time. It really
0: is, but he's got—he know he's got stories. Oh, he—he
1: he has more stories than anybody. If it's walls could talk, I mean.
0: Still, one of my deepest regrets that I was standing behind him in line to check out at that record store and did not know it was him. It is well, back to me in a trench coat. I mean, you know, I had reasons, but yeah. still.
1: So it goes. Well. In any case, if he ever writes the, the story, we'll definitely read it, but yeah. I, I would not hold my breath on that. But <laughs> plenty of people, probably 40, 50 interviews, again, all of the, all of the eras of his career, um, you know, just just a, a fascinating book. One I, I'm glad that Ray wrote it, and uh, again, since it was one that I admit, I had sometimes thought, well, that would be a great book. I, I, I had a little bit of a critical eye to it, but Ray did it justice.
0: Excellent. I'm glad that was so good.
1: Yeah. So talk a little bit about uh, what one of the others you've been working on. I think you're not quite finished with it or anything, but uh, you have delved a little bit into my latest fixation that was another one of those books that I just took my time and crawled through and now, because I loved it.
0: Now you're rereading it to Ryan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So this is our shared read. It's called "Why We Love Baseball: A History in Fifty Moments" by Joe Posnanski. And no, I am not done with it. I think I probably would be done with it, except for the you know those two weeks that I was coughing on things, and you wouldn't let me have the book.
1: So. Yeah, it was in the other end of the house, so yeah, we were we were reading it then. So, yeah.
0: um, but yeah, why don't you summarize how this book is set up, how it's different from Poznanski's other books? Well, I talked
1: about it some, but the the key constraint being that he picked fifty greatest moments, and and one of the things that I love is he didn't just pick the fifty moments. He has little sidebars where he kind of goes into other stories. So, it, he actually tells you in the beginning how many moments you get. It's more than fifty, but. Uh, yeah. Everything from the the like ridiculously obscure to the the historically famous, Joe um, is one of those writers who just uses his material sometimes as a jumping off point to go where he wants to go, and I love it because wherever he takes you, you're in good hands. You're going someplace that at the end it might not be where you thought it was going, but you'll be glad you went there. I mean, yes, let, I let, let me give you a, for instance. Okay. One of the stories in here, he's going to talk about Phil Necro, who's famous for throwing the knuckleball and winning 300 games in the major leagues. And I thought I knew the story he would tell. I thought he would talk about how Necro was a knuckleball pitcher. And the knuckleball is this weird, flukish pitch. You can't throw it hard. It's not predictable. It's impossible to hit because it's also impossible to catch. It just it has weird flight principles that make the ball dive all over the place. And Necro, his dad was dying, and he wanted his 300th win. That's a big milestone in baseball. And it went to the last game of the season. He had 299. And he knew if he didn't get it, his dad might not live to see him do it because it's a long time to spring training. It's six months. But at the same time, he was tired of always being remembered as this guy who threw this flukish pitch. And he decided... He was going to get it, but he was going to do it without the knuckleball. And he went out there, and he got every out down to the last out. And then he threw the knuckleball to get the last out. And he did do it. But he didn't even tell that story. He talked about a girl pitcher. That's what
0: I was thinking, because you're telling the story, and I'm like, but this sounds so much like with the guy who taught the girl how to throw the knuckleball. Exactly. That's the story (laughs) story he tells
1: instead. So
0: listen. From the very beginning of this book, here's what I liked about it. And I mean, like, I've read his Buck O'Neill book. Mm-hmm. And then I tried to read the other one, but I didn't like it. Yeah, as
1: Baseball 100. Deep.
0: Yeah. It was a little too heavy for me. Mm-hmm. But for this one, from the very beginning, okay, I'm going to try to say this right. It's such a playful tone through the whole book. I buy that, yeah. And reading these little, teeny little mini essays that he does for each of these moments, It feels kind of like watching an actual baseball game. Like you kind of feel like you're in the stands. Anything could happen. You're not sure what's (laughs) going to come up next, but you've got your, you know, your popcorn and your drink and you're about to watch something great happen out there on the field and whatever it is, it's going to be fun. And that's what I feel like as I'm turning these pages in this book. I mean, these stories are not all connected to any one game or any one event or any anything. But that's what it feels like. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's it's lighthearted. Even when he's talking about things that, you know, had huge effects and changed people's lives. And reading this book feels like watching the best baseball game you've ever seen. Because all of these things are happening and they're all interesting and they all carry implications that there's no way you could know the whole story. You're just witnessing this one moment on the field. So like that example that you just gave... Like, I didn't know the whole rest of that story, but I'm sitting here thinking about the piece I know while you're filling in the rest of it. Does yeah. that make sense, what I'm saying? Yeah.
1: No, and, and that's the beauty of baseball, in that that is the way you can approach it. There's always more. There's always another story. There's always another detail. And that's
0: the beauty of his writing. Yeah, yeah.
1: Joe, Joe is just a master. Joe is one of those people who could write the phone book, and he would find a way to make it interesting, and he'd find a way to touch your heart. And he would find a way to make you want to read it again.
0: <laughs> yeah, this is this is wonderful. Um, and I'm not finished with it, but I'm going to finish it. And it is going to be one of those books that I, like you did, you read it slowly yeah. more, you savor it. I really want to talk about some of these with you and Ryan. Um, yeah.
1: Well, he, he always pulls up YouTube. He's like, can I see, can that? I see that? And part? most of the time, the answer is yes. Yeah, A few of these you, you can't, but most of them, yeah, I can pull up the, the video and go, well, there it is.
0: Look, I just feel like when I'm reading a really good book about baseball, I can't stop smiling. It's the best time, you know? And this afternoon, after church, and you put some college baseball on TV, and I took Mm -hmm. the longest nap. And it's (laughs) just—but I mean, it's just—baseball is everything that's happy in the world. And when there's baseball in a book that you've got that's really good, or baseball on the TV, or the two converge together— it's just the best time.
1: People will come, Ray. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I, I totally agree. Uh, well said. Uh, I don't have anything to add to that except check it out. Why We Love Baseball, A History and 50 Moments. Joe Poznanski. And then next if, time... And, and if you
0: have ever loved baseball, then there's going to be something in that book oh, that yeah. you've seen oh, or you connect to. And when you find it, please email us or send us a DM and let us know.
1: Yeah, yeah. It makes you kind of want to make your own list. <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> I All probably right. don't have 50, but I've got I've got a few, you know. Go I, on I've to next time. I've seen a few things. Yeah. Next time, uh, we are going... Kind of in a different dimension. This is a book that actually you have just started, but you've enjoyed it, and you read her last book, and I was intrigued by that. I
0: talked about it last time. It was red yeah. sauce, brown sauce.
1: And so this one is...
0: One More Croissant for the Road by Felicity Cloak. This is going to be a departure for you. I'm a big food book person, <laughs> but you are not so much. I don't know.
1: I, I love the... uh Oh, I'm blanking on their names. The road food people, Stern. Yeah. Uh, I love their their memoir. Uh, and Bryson is, is phenomenal. Although he's Bryson not, rarely writes just yeah. about food. It's kind of tangential to what he does. So yeah, yeah it'd be a little different. But,
0: but you know, Cloak, food,
1: I eat it. What's what's <laughs> to not like?
0: <laughs> Felicity Close, the author of this book, is a food writer. But in, like, in Red Sauce, Brown Sauce, in this one she is traveling around France. And so... When I read her other book, I uh, just drew some real parallels between her and Bill Bryson. Mm-hmm. This one is starting out very similarly, so we're going to see if you like it, too.
1: I'll dive right in. Well, let us know what you are reading or what you think about any of the things we've read, or if you liked one more croissant for the road, or, or if you hated it, whatever. <laughs> I, I want to hear from you anyway, uh, but uh, I have high expectations. Anyway, tell them where they can reach us.
0: Yes, definitely. Feel free to send us an email at paperbackreaderspod at gmail.com. Send us a message on Instagram at paperbackreaderspod or on um, X. I guess you can still find us there. I think. <laughs> I don't know if we've posted anything from there in a couple of years.
1: Maybe not. Yeah.
0: But we are at Pod on X.
1: All right. Well, thanks so much. Glad to be back with you. Uh, feel free to reach out and let us know how you are progressing on your wintertime and the springtime journey and uh, wherever it is, however cold or warm it is, I hope there's a book involved. Take care.